1: Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger Podcast. I'm your host as always Steve Hall and today I have Jacob Skepus back on the show and we're talking about all things kind of further education for coaches or for just invested trainees and competitors and how social media can make that pretty tricky also for educators to share information but also should you really be learning on social media and how should we go about kind of learning and further educating ourselves i think it's just a very interesting and relevant discussion to have and also as a reminder we did co-author the ultimate guide to contest prep with jacob skeppes and that is available as an ebook or hardcover book definitely check it out if you're thinking about competing or taking someone to stage it has you covered so guys without further ado let's get into the show Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Jacob Skepus back on the podcast. Uh, this is actually the only, this is your third time, I think, officially on the podcast, which seems ridiculous because of how much we speak. It feels like you've been on way more than this. But the last time Jacob was on, for those who aren't aware of Jacob, he was on episode 161, which is actually quite a while ago, 2019, like he like uh, this sort of time of the year uh, where we talked about digging through a contest prep, which is funny because I just released a reel which was taking your analogy of that which people really enjoyed and I think it's a fantastic analogy but for those of you who don't know who Jacob is he's the director of JPS health and fitness uh, physique and powerlifting coach and he co-authored the ultimate guide to contest prep with us uh, which we think is still a fantastic book and we'd highly recommend of course and he's someone I highly respect for the position that he's in and that's partly why I have him on to talk about the topic that we've got today which is kind of I guess you kind of talked about it just off air in terms of like furthering your professional development as maybe a coach within the industry or even just someone who's looking to educate themselves further as a kind of serious dedicated trainee or competitive bodybuilder and you may be self-coaching because Jacob himself like I said he's the director of JPS Health and Fitness who have lots of coaches under them Uh, so he's educating uh, coaches so I think he's one of the best people to talk about this especially because we're kind of in a similar niche as well. So uh yeah, Jacob, thank you for taking the time to come on because this is we're we're talking to an Australian here. Yes, you are. Thank you for having me, man. It's uh it has been a while. I think pre
2: COVID was probably the last time we had a chat and a lot has changed since then. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh always good to talk to you, man. Yeah,
1: for sure. And I mean it says it all if I know a lot of gyms struggled through that whole period of time and no doubt that was a struggle for you, but I think it says a lot that you're now, I, I believe in a position where you're kind of thriving again and things are going really well for you. So I think that just says a lot to the business that you've developed as well. Yeah, we were we were fortunate that we had a lot of the systems and processes
2: uh, sort of in place to transition online during COVID. Um, we focused heavily on all of our educational uh, services that we provide online. So that was uh yeah really good uh opportunity for us to to focus on those and obviously yeah not being able to coach for a couple of years uh was pretty tough down here in australia but we made it through and yeah we lived to tell the tale
1: yeah and i'm I'm glad about that so uh yeah the the topic Thanks, for today man. or kind of the, the way i'm yeah i mean <laughs> yeah definitely glad about that and uh yeah i can only imagine it to me it feels like it never happened almost. I don't know if you're quite through the wounds and you've recovered from it, but uh, it's crazy to have thought all of that kind of went through and yeah, we've, we've come out the other end and yeah, I'm, I think everyone's glad about that. So yeah, to go on today's topic anyway for, for us, Jacob, uh, something I'd seen and we kind of spoke off air about it and I, I know you've seen it too is kind of the growth of social media. And how obviously we're in a social media age, but it feels like it's grown ever more. I think TikTok really exploded some of this and sort of this element of uh, self-proclaimed experts on topics where maybe they have like zero actual formal qualifications, not to say that you can't become kind of very expert in a field through kind of self-taught, but uh, they have very little experience maybe with clients, even with themselves, maybe and they're maybe even just getting their information now they're teaching across these platforms but they're they're learning just from these platforms it's almost like it's just regurgitated kind of information where some of the nuances may be lost and it kind of they also are of this social media age where maybe they know like diversive content gets the clicks and that gets me attention and so i'm going to make everything maybe a bit more black and white than even i know it is and then people are learning and kind of educating themselves through that maybe even up-and-coming coaches or even trainees because like it's just ever present and in our face. So I don't know if that brings about any thoughts to you or if, if you've seen the same sort of thing happening.
2: Yeah, I definitely have, man. Uh, we absolutely live in an age where information is abundant and the currency of the marketplace is attention. And this makes, in my opinion, acquiring a robust understanding of the world or a topic a very tall order. And it's become more and more difficult uh, for people to acquire a depth of knowledge uh, in a specific domain uh, because they're not learning about things or acquiring information from the same sources uh, that they once were. They no longer have to read an article from start to finish. Uh, they no longer have to go to university to watch a lecture. They can watch it online on YouTube. Uh, and this is yeah, a challenge that we certainly face. And I think, you know, when we think about The information that we get there's a whole heap of i guess problems that we can discuss but at the end of the day we're trying to use that information to gain knowledge and understanding right like that's the purpose of acquiring that information or consuming it and obviously there's a difference between uh entertainment and something that is education and for the purpose of our conversation i think a lot of your listeners I'm sure if they're listening to a podcast like this, uh, they're not just looking for entertainment, although there's got to be that element to it because it has to be engaging. It's got to keep your attention, Uh, but it also has to be educational. So if we're consuming information that's, you know, for the purpose of, uh, you know, developing our knowledge, um, we need to understand what knowledge is, right? And by definition, it's the information, understanding, and skills uh, that we gain through education or formal education or experience, right? Now, obviously, if we're consuming things online, um, it's part of an educational process. It's not necessarily through experience because we're not doing it. Uh, and the goal of the knowledge, I think, for coaches is, um, you know, to become more effective at their job, right, which is writing programs, teaching people how to move, helping them with their nutrition. And the same can be said for lifters, but they're just using it for a very, um, you know, selfish purpose, Right. And a model that I think is really useful in setting the the framework for this conversation is one that I stumbled across years ago. It's called the Data, Information, Knowledge, Wisdom uh, Pyramid, uh, which is basically a a model that represents a relationship between data, information, knowledge, and wisdom. So each sort of layer moving from data all the way up to wisdom uh, is a step towards a higher level of understanding. So, first you have data which is like raw and it exists in isolation, right? So, it's collected through measurement, observations, could be quantitative, qualitative, things that are more so like, you know, facts like carbohydrates have four calories per gram. Then, when you have multiple sort of pieces of data that, you know, you can connect together and you can extract some value from connecting them together, uh, you have information and that's more like definite knowledge. Um, that you acquire through all of those data points, right? So say, for example, that when we consume carbohydrates, our insulin levels increase, right? And then the third level is like knowledge, which is what we want essentially, which is a step further on that scale uh, and involves uh, understanding all of the information that you have in the data points and how they all work together. Uh, But being able to use that to answer questions, to solve problems, make decisions, um, and so on. So using that carbohydrate example, um, you know, if you consume carbohydrates, yes, they raise insulin levels. But if you're in a calorie deficit, those insulin levels don't really matter because the net balance over time uh, will still mean that you will lose fat. And then on the final level, uh, wisdom, which is kind of like a voodoo sort of level here, but it's essentially an all encompassing knowledge um, that you use everything that you know in a responsible and quote unquote wise manner. Right. And I think. That model is important because at the moment we have a lot of people on social media and different platforms putting out a lot of different bits and sound bites of information that is very much focused on getting attention, clicks, likes, and moving its way up through the algorithm. And when people consume this, they don't necessarily always have uh, the foundational knowledge, which is that understanding of you know the principles and you know the key concepts and theories that sort of govern all this information and data to synthesize that in a way to help them solve problems. So they're just left with all these bits of information that they can memorize or parrot back. Um, and they can use sort of snippets of information and make that make them sound more educated. Uh, but this has, you know, very little to do with knowledge. Um, and it can be done without an understanding because they can't really make use of that information. So I think um, with that out of the way, it's really important to then think of knowledge as, you know, what you know about a topic and then what you're able to use in terms of your understanding of the topic to help you solve problems, right? Like that's the key sort of um, idea of having knowledge. Otherwise, what's the point? Um, And in the context of like what we do, Steve, coaching people um, and obviously educating lifters and stuff. There's two types of knowledge that, um, you know, I've sort of talked about in our mentorship and various things like this. There's what's called declarative knowledge, which is like your knowing knowledge, right? So that's based on readily available information or research, Um, you know, and this information can help you establish a more foundational framework through which you can express, you know, the art of decision-making. And it's very much important for your conceptual understanding of how things work, okay? And um, it doesn't tell you what is optimal for everyone necessarily. It's like, you know, we know that a calorie deficit will lead to fat loss, but that doesn't tell us the optimal um, size of the calorie deficit, um, you know, how we then structure a diet, how many calories somebody should be on. But these things are very important um, and we need to then sort of use that within our understanding of the evidence-based practice model where we have that, you know, science and the knowledge and then we have to apply that to the individual, use our experience, and so on. And you know, when we pursue declarative knowledge, which is what people are doing essentially when they consume information online, right? They're trying to get information to help them better understand how they know something. Okay. Um, in many cases, sometimes it's practical knowledge, but most of the time, you know, in our sort of circles, it's the information-based um, you know, knowledge that they're getting. And the issue here is this kind of knowledge is best pursued. Through formal education, right? That's why they have degrees, postgraduates, and all these kind of things, which actually teach you everything you need to know about this topic. Um, but a lot of people aren't getting that, and instead they're getting, um, you know, they're doing their own self-directed um, learning, which is fine. But in my experience, what I've observed, there's a lot of issues there because it's not structured, right? It's not purposeful. Um, it's not actual education, it's just con- consumption. Um, and I'm sure there's plenty that we can go into after that, but I sort of, I think that sort of lays yeah. the land for how I'm looking at everything that's going on at the moment.
1: Yeah. I love that kind of everything from information up to wisdom and kind of, it, it, it's like connecting the dots And lots of people are missing those connections because insulin is a great example where you'll get someone touting our carbs then lead to an increase in insulin and therefore you're going to store fat. And it's like, so carbs are bad because insulin and it's like, and then you bring that new layer of like knowledge and understanding connecting the dots of like the calorie deficit if that's occurring. And then again, you'll get people just shouting calorie deficit and like fat loss is easy. It's just calorie deficit. And they're missing all the other pieces of information of what leads to that calorie deficit and sort of thing like that. But on social media, especially like the growth of Reels, TikTok, they're literally like, like you said, the entertainment they're trying to catch and draw attention how much can you educate someone in like i'm sure you're frustrated with it too and that so, like i'm we're i'm seeing all these providers like uh, andy morgan doing similar setup in terms of reels and like talking to the camera and trying to like talk about answer a question or a topic and i'm sure he's frustrated too with like there's just only so much you can give someone in that period of time so but we're having to kind of go there to hopefully i guess like for you guys lead people to that kind of education platform that is your mentorship eventually or I can lead people to longer format with our e uh, not ebook, book, well, why it's an ebook and a hardcover, but like our ultimate guide to contest prep or to a podcast. But it's like you said, even uh, I think I've I've heard a lot of and, and podcasts. Obviously, I do them for a reason. I think they're great to explore topics, but I have people on, and there's a reason why when I get like a two smart people on, they go on for like two hours because they could talk to a topic for ages and there's so much that probably and i'm sat there sometimes i'm i i do not have a fundamental knowledge and understanding of some of these things that they're going into to fully understand that and grasp that and that's where a formal education might be beneficial to come in and help kind of guide that kind of conversation a bit more and but yeah it's people are pulling these little like sound bites and then they're just like parroting them and then that's leading to more kind of misinformation and the people with the most entertaining message or the most kind of the best physiques and things like this are the ones that are drawing attention and if people aren't careful and they're spending hours of time on these platforms trying to learn, it's like, and like you said, that's such an unstructured way of learning. Like I know I've done it where I've been trying to gather information about a topic and maybe I'm listening to various bits of podcasts. I'm like, man, it'd be really nice. And maybe there is like just one place where I could go through it, like, like a systematic way of just learning about this topic, but people don't like to do that. <laughs> no, usually it involves a lot of debt and a lot of
2: years at university. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but no, you're spot on man. I think uh, you raise a really good point like there's people who are just like taking things and then recreating that content, sending that message, um, and they don't really know what they're talking about. they're just regurgitating it. I actually don't mind if people do that. I'm not sure what my position is on this yet. But I think I don't mind if they're doing it in a way um, that is ethically correct, morally correct and they're not doing it just to, you know, uh, you know, peddle their own shit, uh, but they're, they're right. If they're accurate, if the information right. they're putting out is accurate, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Say, for example, somebody listens to Mike Isretel and he talks about, uh, you know, nutrition for muscle gain and, you know, that you need to eat between 1.6 to 2.2 grams of protein per kilo body weight per day. And there's somebody who doesn't understand even what that is. They're talking about eating protein and they regurgitate that soundbite and they put out that information. There's an issue there, obviously, because they don't know where that information's come. They probably haven't fact checked Mike. They don't know, um, you know, the specific context where that might be applicable. Um, you know, that you might need more protein if you're in a hypocaloric condition, you know, at the end of a contest prep, um, you know, risk of muscle loss, all these kind of things. Um, but it's not necessarily bad advice. Right. And if it's well intentioned and it's accurate, I'm okay with that. But I still think if you're a content creator and somebody who is Pushing educational content, um, you have a duty of care to your audience, and that's where you should do your due diligence and go out and try to better understand that topic so that if people question you about things, you have an answer. And I think that's the same for coaches. Coaches not only need to know the right information, but they need to know why that's the right information and how they got there so that then they can understand the specific context that that will be applicable in and where it won't be applicable in. And this is why not all information is created equally Obviously, some information is factually incorrect, but some information comes from credible sources who actually know what they're talking about versus other people who are just regurgitating it. And it's very hard to differentiate the two um, in the current climate of you know, social media. Very difficult because who's not to you know say that these people who are putting out this information that is factually correct know their shit? We don't know if they've read thousands of peer-reviewed papers that they might have a PhD in a different area, but they've just decided to start honing their skills into you know, nutritional sciences and muscle physiology, whatever the case may be. We don't know. Um, but I think that the good thing at the moment is it's good and bad. I'd love to hear your opinion on it, actually, Steve. Uh, with call-out culture, I think it's a socially self-correcting uh, phenomena where, where basically anyone who puts out Dog shit information is getting penalized big time socially for it, right? It's like they're getting stoned, you know, back in the day for stealing a loaf (laughs) of bread. It's like the same thing. And I think it's okay if there's somebody who is poor of poor intentions and they do it repeatedly. And it's not just an honest mistake one time where they might have misinterpreted something or just had an oversight because that happens. I don't think you should vilify people for that. That's where you might send a, a DM and say, hey, I saw this happened, just want to, you know, have a chat with you about it. How'd you get to this uh, sort of conclusion? You know, what are your thoughts on this? Because I've, you know, seen this, da-da-da. You have a conversation about it. If they then go back and they don't correct themselves, don't apologize and do these things, okay, then it's a different story. But I think it's kind of a good thing because we're holding people to a higher uh, burden of, you know, proof essentially when it comes to putting out content. Um, But on the side of the person who's consuming information, such as your listeners listening to this today, uh, I think it's really important to to consider how you approach your consumption of information. Information consumption has to be strategic; otherwise, you will get lost, you will become you know confused, you'll drown in all the different sound bites, and you won't really have um, you know any direction or purpose to what you're consuming. Um, and that's where it becomes you know a pointless endeavor, really. If you're following educational companies like, you know, JPS and Revive Stronger, uh, if you don't have um, some deliberate plan and consider the following things. So where and who you source information from, right? So that means you've got to understand your platforms. What's the purpose of that platform? Is it for entertainment or education? TikTok isn't for education. There are people who use TikTok who provide educational content. But come on, anyone who goes there to learn, you're really not going to learn much. you know, social media is designed for novelty, right? It's not purposeful education. You need to consider like who you're getting that information from, right? Uh, some people focus on the clickbait, uh, gaining your attention, making money uh, versus some people providing useful information. So you have to always be thinking about the sources that you're getting that info from um, and how much you buy into certain types of information. So again, thinking about the platforms as well as who, right? If Mike Isretel uh, puts out information, even if it's a real. Because it's my kids' telling, I know who he is. He's a credible source. I take that a little bit more seriously than if, say, um, you know, Kayla Itsteins or something like that puts out a reel and, you know, tells me how to build glutes, right? Um, so that's really, you know, the fundamentals of, like, consuming information on these platforms. But then most importantly is what you do with that information. And here's what I mean by that. You can consume, and it goes in one ear out the other and entertain you for 30, 60 seconds. You swipe up onto the next. That isn't going to help your education. You are not going to gain any knowledge, right? You just got entertained and you you helped that person climb the algorithm. If you liked it, engaged, whatever. You have to digest and process that information, whether it's short form or long form content. If you want to learn and you want to gain knowledge, you need to take notes, write down questions that you have about that information, Um, you know, Things for further reading. Okay, they reference this. What's that reference? Maybe I'll go look that up. They mentioned, you know, this book that you know they quoted or whatever. Okay, I'm going to go check that book out because education is different to consumption. As I hope people are starting to see, uh, it has to be structured and compartmentalized. And I think you will get a lot more out of it if you break it down into specific topics. And I know this worked really well for me over the years. Is I have a year where I was focused on one specific thing. Like broadly speaking though, but like I'd have a year where I'd focus on, okay, I'm gonna learn about training, whether it's biomechanics, muscle growth, strength, uh, technique. But that year, that was like my training year. I just learned about training. Then the next year is about nutrition. Then the next year is about like communication. And I don't always periodize my learning. And I know you'll fucking love this. You're like, yes, periodization. <laughs> yeah, you you periodize everything. To talk, you just are you're a stickler for routine structure, yeah, and organization. And that's why you're so good at what you do. that's why you have so much knowledge and your business is thriving and, you know, succeeding in the way it does because there is direction and purpose, but there is also some specific structure to how you go about the things within the business. And if people are going to do this as a career, whether it's with their business or education, right, which is their, you know, bread and butter, essentially, um, they have to be, you know, compartmentalizing things and having a plan as to how they approach all of this shit. Otherwise, you're just going to go into social media, scroll for hours every day and just waste time and you're not going to get anything out of it. You can get a lot more out of it. Use social media as a segue to long-form content and make it a part of your uh, self-directed education and your career pathway, basically. Find the bits of information that you like that are interesting to you and go out and read, them first, read more about them. Take notes, find other credible sources, read some direct research. If you can't, find a research review on that topic, you know, find some books and then start to really hone that educational process from there. Um, but if you're relying on the social media as your only source of education information, oh man, I really question how much knowledge you're going to get from that.
0: Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with a the plan? Then. get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better. If you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change, sign up today and let's revive stronger.
1: I think that, uh, I mean, you touched on tons of things I want to kind of touch on, but the the differentiation between consumption and like education is so well said because I think it's, I know myself, I do it where I'll I'll listen to a podcast or maybe an audiobook, and I'll be walking outside and I'll have heard some really good bits of information and then I'll kind of the next day I'll be like, I can't remember anything. I have to literally write notes as I'm kind of listening to these things or even reading a book, underlining things, scoring things out, kind of making notes on the side because otherwise it's like in one ear, out the other. And that's like what social media is brilliant for is you just flick and you forget, flick and forget. And so, yeah, if you're not – and something I do as a content producer and we're talking about it off air in terms of bringing on guests for podcasts is I I love social media for trying to learn about a, a guest but I go find a post, they talk about a topic and then I'm like, right, have they talked about that on a podcast, right? I can hear them talking more depth about that subject so I can ask some good questions and not just like, you know, just pick these like five Instagram posts and just pick each one and like, like that's what we're going to talk about because it doesn't give them the opportunity there. Uh, something you spoke about and I agree if someone's listening to like a credible source and then they just share that kind of, they kind of regurgitate that information. I don't see that as bad because like you said it's like it's still valuable information that's kind of valid i think the issue maybe comes in when someone shares something from someone when it isn't valid and and then that kind of spirals do you see there being any kind of red flags that can help people identify someone who is maybe someone like you mentioned mike isretel or an eric helms brad schoenfeld these kind of credible people that we obviously inherently know about but maybe there's new people coming up and how do we kind of either things you look out for to identifying if someone seems like they're going to be going to be a credible source that we can kind of trust a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I put up a post
2: a couple of years ago. um, It had a comparison between an influencer who I think is actually a good thing. Somebody who can influence people is, is a very powerful person. So influencers good and influenza like a virus bad, right? So influencers, in my opinion, are people who are helpful and beneficial. And that undertone, it's, you know, it's always there in, in their content. They're meaning well. They're trying to help. Um, there's no clear red flags for them, um, you know, trying to sell you a product or just promote um their services and things like that. They're self aware and respectful. Uh, they're very much, you know, cognizant of their role as an influencer. And, and how important that is. And they're um, you know, nice and polite to people. I think that's a really important trait in somebody who is credible, usually. Um, and they're authentic and genuine, right? It's like nobody has to be 100% authentic on social media because at the end of the day, it's a highlight reel. You can't be, you know, it's just, it's not realistic. Um, but they're genuine, right? There's, there's not a huge discrepancy between who they are in person, who they are online. And their focus is very much leadership oriented. There's somebody who is concerned about not only helping people but furthering uh those around them and their community. So you can look out for you know these kind of things in just how somebody goes about putting out their content. On the other hand you've got an influencer, which is someone who's not very helpful. It's attention seeking, right? They're usually like the social media unicorns where they could just put up a six pack shot uh with you know a one word caption and they get like you know hundreds of thousands of likes right? They don't have to put in any effort to get engagement. Um, they're very self-absorbed, right? It's all about them. There's, there's not anything there that's worried about you, the, the follower, the consumer, um, and they're somewhat disrespectful. That you know, um, I guess, ignorant of their, their power and their position to to be able to help a lot of people. And this is obviously very much fitness space oriented, right? Sure. Um, and the, you know, any sort of traces of them being disingenuous or um, not very authentic. And the status focus also sort of big, big red flags, right, for for who you should be looking to to consumer information. And then there's sort of the the big, uh, you know, checklist in terms of is this information, um, you know, credible and are they a pseudo-expert or a real expert. Uh, there's a lot more in terms of what they say now, right, not sort of who they are yeah. and how they say it. Okay, so sort the of pseudo-experts, they use hyperbole and they exaggerate. Right, there's a lot of exaggeration in their claims, right? And you know, the larger the claim, the more evidence you need to support it. Uh, these people usually don't have that evidence, and they provide a, like a cure-all or a fix-all or a one-size-fits-all approach. And, and they usually speak in absolutes, you know, always, never. Um, they don't reference or they cherry-pick data. Um, there's a lack of context, like it's just you know information without any caveats and nuance. Um, you know, they're never wrong, these people, ever, and they won't admit it, right? If they get called out, they block or they delete, right? This is the kind of person that you should absolutely be curious uh, and concerned about. Uh, They use, you know, appeals to authority, they use logical fallacies, um, and they're just intellectually dishonest, right? They ignore or hide their biases, conflicts of interest, um, and usually they're Level of conviction, so how confident they are in what they know, exceeds their actual knowledge. Right? That's usually a pseudo expert, right there. On the other hand, an actual expert is basically the opposite of that. They're realistic about you know what they promote. They promote realistic timeframes with what's achievable. You know, with their advice and things like that. Um, if they propose a solution, it's very specific to a specific um, you know problem or specific set of con- uh, uh, problems. And context, Uh, they use probabilities when they talk, you know, so potentially, highly likely, maybe, you know, unlikely, things like this, like never absolutes, like always, never. Um, They're usually very, you know, well-versed with the research or at least their field, right? You don't always need a reference to know what you talk about, um, but you've got to adhere to the fundamental principles, right? They're very principle-oriented, these people, so they, you know, can explain things from a principle's up uh you know process right it's not just here's a piece of information it's like here's this information or this method of programming that works but here's why because you know it's specificity progressive overload fatigue management then they understand how those things interrelate um they're usually um you know very like aware of what they don't know it's like they know their limitations right and and they will always be willing to sort of admit that um, They don't give specifics. They usually outline ranges. So I've never seen you, Steve, promote. You need to have one point eight grams of protein per kilo of body weight. That's a range. Rate of fat loss: zero point five to one percent. It's never a specific number. Um, And they're committed to lifelong learning. And usually, as you know, the opposite of a pseudo expert, their conviction in their knowledge, or you know, the conviction in the way they talk, usually lines up pretty well with their actual knowledge. In fact people who aren't really familiar with them and don't see them as an expert might not think that they're an actual expert because they're not overly convincing or they don't try to convince. And that's the real tricky part, I reckon, Steve, is that the people who actually know their shit, you know, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, like in certain situations, like they're not going to be like, if you feel this and you experience this in the gym, then you must do this. Like that gets people who don't know anything about, you know, training, for example, to go, oh, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. Look how confident he is. But then you might have someone like Eric Helms be like, yeah, I guess there's situations where this might be a potential reason to say take a few sets back. That doesn't sound very convincing to yeah. me as a beginner in the gym who's, you know, just trying to figure this stuff out. I want the guy who knows and is confident in what he's telling me, right? So yeah, I think those things are really important to look out for,
1: you know, in who you're consuming information from. I think that was brilliantly explained from just like the almost personality of that individual and what they're using the platform for and generally just for the greater good. And they're they're kind of kind and empathetic individual who are like looking out for their followers versus just that person who's kind of looking out for themselves. And those tend I, – I don't really see – someone who is that way also then being kind of like black and white with their statements and that sort of thing. And likewise, someone who's like in it for themselves generally isn't using like maybe and ranges and like is being kind of careful with their language. And uh, it's funny, I think uh, Brad actually shared something yesterday, Brad Schoenfeld about kind of how it's important to use those kind of precursors in terms of the ranges and the maybes and the kind of maybe uh maybe or kind of uh, in this case or i like that i forget what it is the the squiggle on the keyboard it's like around i, I forget what that thing's called but i use it all the time like next to a number i'm like it's around <laughs> this because the, the average yeah something yeah something <laughs> along those lines so uh and i i, I commented on it I was like you're a great example of this because brad does it all the time but I mean, I've had him on enough times on the podcast and seen the comments on YouTube where people are like, this guy doesn't seem sure about anything. Like there's so much research about hypertrophy, but why hasn't he got the answer yet? Or something along these lines. It's just like, man, that's unfortunate because I think there are even, I mean, people that listen to this podcast are generally well-educated and they understand these things. But I think inherently in, I don't know if it's probably in the book, like our chimp brain, that sort of thing, or the chimp paradox, that sort of thing, where we just do seek out like easy answers. And so... I think I'm probably even kind of someone who ends up doing it where if I see someone who's really confident about what they're speaking about and there's some absolutism in there and I I don't know I feel like I warm to them and trust them and they're very uh, kind of easy to engage with like it's hard to pull yourself away and be like ah, actually wait a minute I need to question that so you're right I think that is exactly where a lot of these educators maybe struggle to explode or someone I guess Mike would be a good example of someone who he is a, uh, I guess, he's, no, he's not, this like, he doesn't talk in absolutes at all. He talks with confidence and he is somewhat entertaining. So he kind of uses that angle to draw people to his content. Whereas like other people, I imagine, well, like it's hard to be as entertaining as Mike. <laughs> so uh, I think that really helps him grow on social media. But I think, um, yeah, we get into this trap uh, for a lot of us where we, we're struggling to grow because we're not getting to that position. And that actually brings me to a thought, in terms of some of the content you've been putting out uh with some of the reels where you kind of I, I, I see you start with maybe a bit of an uh not an absolutism, but maybe like a thing where you're like uh, I was one of them was the deload. load. It was like you shouldn't be it's deloading a, every it's called a yeah. So see, I hate this Steve. I've had to get yeah. the time. <laughs> I like writing.
2: Uh as you know we've written, co-authored a book together. I love doing the really detailed infographics. Uh, where I can put you know pen to paper finger to button and actually like bang something up, but now Instagram the fuckers right have changed the algorithms and it's all about videos because they're trying to keep up with TikTok, so I have to do reels and you know the way that reels sort of work or what makes them engaging is they need to start with a hook which is basically like a really engaging uh, you know short sentence that reels people in right or hooks them in like grabs their attention, so yeah like with that you can't be like. Three considerations for managing fatigue. Yeah. Nobody's going to freaking watch that, right? It's like you have to get their attention because they're going to scroll. So, yeah. Oh, sorry to cut you off. Yes, they're called hooks. And I hate the fact that I have to use them, but I do my best to get people's attention and then actually hopefully leave them with just some thoughts about things. Like the the one you were talking about, uh, the deloads was like, yeah, stop deloading every fourth week. And everyone was like, oh shit, like what's this? But then I said, like, you know, pre-planned deloads um, you know, are only okay if you're men- measuring and managing fatigue, and you know, you've got a reason and valid justification to do it. If you don't, you don't need a deload every fourth week until you start managing fatigue properly, kind of thing, or measuring fatigue properly. Um, so it was more of a like, think about this, but I'll draw you in with a right. But then again, I still had a lot of people saying, like coming at me and being misinterpreting that. And because yeah. I can only really get so much in 60 seconds, it's like, Mark, man, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like I've written a full um, you know, uh, article. I've done a, like hour-long lecture for our education portal, uh, you know, covering that specific reel like over an hour. It's like so much gets lost, you know, and that's frustrating. But as you said, it's we try to use these things to get people to our longer form content, uh, hopefully follow us and not hate us after, you know, telling them not to deload. Um but it's tough. It's challenging, man. It's like it's a real battle at the moment because you're working with such uh, limited time on social media to, you know, get someone in and explain something that you really can't lay out all the nuances. People aren't there on those platforms to learn and become educated about the context or the, you know, details around that thing. They just want the answer. Just tell me the answer. Tell me something interesting. Tell me something controversial so I can send it to other people. We can, you know, have a chat about it. It's like, it's, it's not the same platform uh, it once was. uh, And we need to respect and recognize that as coaches and content providers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so well said. And uh, yeah, the hook is exactly what I think I end up (laughs) lacking with because I I put something like, I I think I even created a title for one of my reels was like. You're too nice. (laughs) <laughs> maybe you should use I skull crushes. Tell you this. <laughs> yeah. I, I was always like maybe... <laughs> tell you this. That's too nice. Yeah. It was like, maybe you should use skull crushes for muscle hyper, like for tricep growth. And I was like, no one's going to, why would I write maybe there? You're such an idiot. Just write why you should use tricep, like a skull crush for tricep growth. And even that isn't diversive, but I'm like, oh no, I should temper it because like, it doesn't have to be that way. Anyway, you're completely yeah. right in that. You need that hook and you hope that people stick around for the context behind the hook because, the thing, and I guess it, ha- it happened to you, where people heard the hook, they heard the black and white statement or what it was, and then they they ran with that, and maybe some people it fit their bias, they go share it, and other people are just hearing the hook or they dive into you and they they try and learn more, which is what you hope would happen at least, and that's great because that's good for the algorithm and gets you to grow. But yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I, I hate the kind of what social media demands from you, which is why I guess. You see people like, I guess, Eric Helms, he he doesn't even like really dabble with that. He just shares, I was on this podcast. So if you actually want to yeah. hear long form content or like, yeah. here's my book or uh, the guy's at the RP. the
2: unfortunate or- thing is that Eric's made it, right? Sure. Yes. He's got, uh, you know, 100,000 followers, right? He produces less social media content in a year than you would in like a month, Steve. <laughs> right? True. No, yeah. dead set. And he's got more followers than you. He's got more followers than both of us combined, I think, at this stage. But, but so he doesn't need to use a platform to elevate himself in the social hierarchy of fitness or evidence-based practitioners, right? And obviously, his bread and butter isn't derived from his social media following. Yours is. So is mine. People come yeah. to JPS. They find out about JPS through social media. They you know, purchase our services and products through social media. They get to understand the brand through social media. Eric's a researcher. He's paid by Auckland University. He's got his coaching company, sure. Um, you yeah, know, if you look at the guys in the coaching company who their bread and butter is coming from that, um, and that's you know, Alberto and you know, these guys, they're doing a lot more on social media than Eric yep. is because they need to, and that's the unfortunate reality of our industry. We're not like, you know, the law industry. Or you know, uh, accounting or economics or anything like this, where you go to work, you do your job. Social media is part of your hobby, right? That you talk use to you know engage with friends and learn about what's going on in the world. Ours is social media is our work. It's a part of our work. It's a part of our marketing strategy, right? And, and that's what makes it really tricky because even though you don't want to do reels, and I don't want to do fucking reels. Like I look at some of yours, I'm like. I know Steve's feeling the same way about these as, <laughs> as I am. I know we're in the same boat here. It's like, we do them. It's cool when they like sort of land and they get a lot of engagements like, yeah, fuck, that's cool. Cause it feels like that with every post, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a reel or not, but I know that you're like me and you're not a big, big fan of the reels because it does miss all the juicy stuff that we like to talk about. Like we've spoken about this for nearly an hour. It's like, I can't talk about that on a reel, right? That doesn't yeah. satisfy me on any level because it's just so bland there's no intellectual stimulation for me like talking about something on a real 60 seconds and missing all the other important things. Um, but we do it and we have to do it to stay relevant and to yeah. continue to you know, elevate ourselves and position ourselves in the industry so that we get clients, so that we have, you know, money coming into the bank. So we put food on the table. It's like, it's, it's a really unfortunate reality of the current, uh, you know, fitness space um, and compared to a lot of other industries. Like I, I do empathize with a lot of, Companies who are having to do this stuff, uh, sort of unwillingly, yeah. to stay in the game. It, it's tough.
1: Yeah, and I I think this is a useful useful discussion, not just for coaches who might be on the platform trying to share information like us and try and like they they are using social media for similar reason is to kind of keep their client base. But even those who are uh, consuming, trying yeah. to yeah consuming, because now you're yeah. hearing from two individuals who are struggling with the, the platform for education, <laughs> like and, it's and the not our the ideal other, platform.
2: Other, other coaching companies who are doing the same thing as us. Yeah right? It's like as a consumer, this is really important information to to know because now when you see all this information coming from fitness professionals, you're like, fuck, these people are just putting out this information, like the sort of sound bites of what they actually know in some cases. In some cases, they're just doing it for clickbait, whatever it is, because they're, they're trying to run a business. So it works on both ends. It's, re- it's a really important yeah. conversation, I think. Um, one that a lot of people have sort of just been swept up in, like it's a situation where it's just sort of grabbed us and swept us into it we haven't really made any conscious decisions um i don't think a lot of people have to okay what's happening here what are we doing it's just like okay everyone's doing reels now let's do reels like i'm sure you didn't sit down with pascal and have this like full-on plan like okay reels what's our strategy for the next season are we gonna do this are we, it was just like fuck people are doing reels we should we should do this then it's like people do a tiktok fuck we gotta do this right because we don't know yeah. Okay, what's the you know success rate of fitness professionals on you know, TikTok like in terms of engagement, sales, and this over the last twelve months? Fuck knows. People haven't been using it for twelve months, but we do it anyway. And it's yeah. a really like we're in a really weird time in the fitness space. Um, and I'm very interested to see what happens. Uh, you know, hopefully, maybe in a year or two, we can uh, sit down and reconvene and go, fuck, remember those real things that we had to do. <laughs>
1: That would be nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> i really hope not it was i mean before reels i felt like it was well like infographics were the big thing and and they yeah. for a time were good and i think definitely a step up from reels because you could actually put in and i mean you your guys's infographics are like <laughs> probably too detailed in some instances same with some of mine but That's at least true. you could you could, could like <laughs> get people to swipe and you have like decent amount of you information you could actually could save put it. some
2: like like informative stuff in there, and people would have to take the time to read it. It wasn't oh. over in thirty seconds. That's the big difference. There is people could sit down and consume it, and they'd you know pinch in on mine and like zoom them in and be like okay, yep. but they'd read it. Whereas with reels, there's someone talking, there's things popping up, there's shit flashing, <laughs> but you <it's, laughs> can't learn like that, right? No. Completely different purpose of a reel versus you know a ten. Uh, carousel swipe across with detailed infographics about one topic um and I think yeah they were a step up in terms of the education and that's what we're talking about today is like you know becoming more educated as a lifter or a coach it's like the different types of content even within the same platform should be looked at differently in a part of your strategic educational plan like okay if I consume reels what I'm going to do when I like watch these things okay maybe I'll have ones where I like them and they're actually informative I'll save them. And I'll go back and look at that reel and write down some notes about that. And you spend an hour, you know, every night where you watch the reels that were good and informative, and you take some notes. And you put some, you know, mark, uh, comments there. Okay, I'm going to do some further reading on, on this, from this person. I'm going to read this research paper. And maybe that's useful. I don't know. But I think in isolation, just consuming them, scrolling, probably not very helpful.
0: Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though, it's reality and we know how to do it and we will help you achieve this. The mini cup movement, is an eight week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You'll receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the mini cut so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The Minicup movement is open 24-7, so if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's Revive Stronger together.
1: And something I wanted to draw back to was, uh, I have this kind of idea of, and I don't know if you can put it in a pure hierarchy, but kind of like a hierarchy of knowledge and information to consume, where I would think of something like, I don't know, a university degree might be somewhere near that base where and like just going to school and that sort of thing and then somewhere at the top is something like social media and reels and like taking people through that because i something i always pull myself back to is i look over at my shelf and i'm like man there's so many textbooks there if i just need to kind of think about something i just pick up brad schoenfeld's like hypertrophy textbook i'm like right it's got that everything i need is right there i can even go find the 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 paper and things and i can spend an hour looking at that you just described an hour of like looking at reels maybe someone doesn't even need to go there they can just like they can find ultimate Guide to contest prep spend an hour reading that you've read like a quarter of the book think about how and then like write notes on that you're going to learn a heck of a lot more doing that sort of thing so i don't know what's
2: on your your bookshelf steve tell us like (laughs) seriously like tell the listeners
1: what's on your bookshelf So, uh, yeah, I guess some keys for me would be, I mean, like Brad's hypertrophy textbook is like that's in-depth stuff. Like below that are things like the muscle and strength pyramids. They're great kind of ease yourself in. Our ultimate guide to contest prep, not as like in depth as where Brad's book is, where it talks about like a lot of the mechanisms and the biology and to like huge details. Uh, we even say that it's not at that level, but ours is specific to like contest prep. And then you have like the RP kind of ebooks uh, that are kind of ready available and that they're, they're like probably a step above the muscle and strength pyramids and some of the information they go through, but it's kind of just, like sorting through those and you can't read it once and understand everything. You you read it like five times and now you're like, oh wow, now that's thinking in and then you hear things said in podcasts, or you see them on reels, and then you're like, oh, this is reinforcing the information that I've learned from this foundational knowledge of this kind of textbook.
2: Or it's contrary to it, and that should be a red flag for, yes. hey, do I take this on face value and just believe it? Or do I go try to you know, fact check it and be a little bit more skeptical about that person who's putting out that information? So I think you hit the nail on the head there. You've got to have some foundational sort of resources that uh, are the building blocks for your acquisition of knowledge. All of the books that you just recommended. Um, you know if you can do some reputable courses like our mentorship, we have a bunch of experts on there. Um, there are a heap of other courses online. our peer doing a nutrition course now. Yeah. Um, you know there's there's heaps of really good courses out there, but you've got to find them from the right providers. Um, research reviews like mass, weightology, Alan Aragon's research review. There's probably heaps more in different sort of little pockets of uh, the industry that I'm not aware of, but they're sort of like my go-to, right? If I want to know about a topic, I go into mass, I search, you know, okay, muscle damage. Then it comes up with all their, you know, latest reviews and I'll I'll read them and go through them. I'll watch some lectures. Um, I go back to the books. It's like, they're my foundational sort of, you know, resources that I use to help with my knowledge. And then all the little bits of information I get, you know, from reading a blog or this or that sort of filters through and it's got to be fact-checked against all of these things that I know from these really good in-depth courses and books and research reviews that I've learned from. And if it sort of passes all that and it fits into that nicely and it's, you know, sort of a consensus, it's like, cool, that's something that makes sense. And within that, I think over time as you go through this and the more you do it, hopefully you're developing some really fundamental critical thinking skills. Yeah. Right. Like you you can learn to think about thinking and become really meta with it all. Like you you get better at thinking, right? You realize your blind spots, your flaws, um, you understand the limitations of the scientific method and, you know, research. A lot of the things we've spoken about uh, in terms of the pseudo-experts and the real experts, like you're better aware of all these things. So you can think about it um, at a much higher level and a more efficiently and effectively. Uh, then when you did starting out and you just sort of know, okay, that's bullshit. Cool. This is right, good information. I'm going to go check this out. Um, but yeah, it's like I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like you, we were lucky. We sort of stumbled across a lot of really good people sort of really early in our careers. But there were many years there where I I bought a book by John Ivey called Nutrient Timing. that was basically like you had to stoke the metabolic fire every like three hours. And me and my brother used to set our alarm and every three hours we would eat. No shit, right? I used to think carbs were fattening. I bought a 700-page endocrinology textbook once because I thought hormones were the secret to fat loss. Like I got duped into some seriously stupid shit. I would have spent $400 a month on supplements that were just garbage. Like I, I made all those mistakes, and it was Alan Aragon who was the one who sort of, you know, showed me the road. Um, you know, and helped me sort of dissect a lot of the bullshit. And he was very understanding and like helpful he private messaged me and I was like, oh my God, like I read about him in forums and then I started subscribing to his research review and I started to understand my shit a little bit better. And then from him, I got into Brad Schoenfeld, Brett Contreras, Eric Helms. And then all of a sudden I had this army of uh, experts who in their own rights are just, you know, legends in the fitness industry in my books that, yep. you know, I could, I could use to help me with my education. And as I say, you stand on the shoulders of giants. And I was lucky that, I was able to stand on those shoulders uh, at an early stage of my career. And I didn't sort of keep going down the road. I was going down.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think I had the same book in terms of nutrient timing. It was like, the. the, I think it was at that time, there was just an amount of it. it, I think it was like relatively evidence-based for the time it was was out. It
2: was fully fucking referenced. Yeah. But
1: then, as science develops you learn more you realize oh my <laughs> gosh that was like peddling a load of shit which is is good because you found like the right references and resources and that's why i think you you have to be careful with like i think books are great but like you mentioned there are so they, many books yeah. out there and I, I, there are some terrible books out there so you, textbooks generally are good like ones that are actually educating people on courses that's... maybe for example or yeah. actually i recently I'm gonna show this one because I got it sent to me yeah. a few months ago. Advanced personal training. Oh, yes, yes, I like, that's uh, really good. So I, I'm just digging through, and it, it's fantastic. Like if I could have read that as soon as I was starting like training, even or getting into personal training, like th- that's that's amazing because it just has it. Like people look towards systematic reviews or matter analyses as like the gold standard in terms of those, but like a textbook takes all of that and puts it in. Whereas you'll get people on social media will use kind of the fact that we know science is important and they cherry pick a study. And they forget all the other ones that are contradicting it. And they'll say, this is the way. And then that again gets shared. So it's just further ways that social media can be dangerous. And I guess actually that brings me to, and you talked about call out culture, and it was something I was going to talk about in that from the sounds of things, you feel like that can be productive when done in the right way. So if there are people uh, kind of, I guess, listening and they're seeing people do it, or they're thinking about doing it, how would you, what's the kind of ethical and right way to go about it that you're seeing as something that's productive?
2: Yeah, I don't want to be the one that sort of sits on the moral high ground and, you know, tells people how to do things. But for me personally, if I call somebody out, um, I do it without using their name or tagging them or making any reference to them. I attack the information, right? And I'll attack that with better information. Right? It's not the person. I look at these things, it's not a me versus you thing right? It's nothing personal. It's just about the information. And that's in cases where like, I might not know the person or I've got no sort of like reason to reach out to them, or maybe they don't even know who I I am. And I just don't think it's a really good idea to sort of engage in that, right? I just put up some opposing views, which I think are better. And then I let the people sort of decide, right? Um, But if you're going to call somebody out and use their name and stuff, I would hope uh, that if somebody was ever doing that to me, uh, that they would come to me first and be like hey jacob you put out this i disagree can you you know show me why you put out this information we would have a discussion about it if it was you know quite a productive conversation they were nice about it they weren't you know just being you know assholes um, and we still couldn't agree and they said hey you know just letting you know uh i'm going to be you know posting about this and i'm going to use your name and stuff at that point what can i do right that's fair game, man. Like that's, I think, you know, probably the best way I can think of um, to go about calling somebody out is trying to have a conversation with them. If you still can't agree, then give me the heads up. Um, and if you can't agree and they, you know, things get sort of bitter and nasty, well, I think that's that's a problem that, a bigger problem than the information that they're putting out right i think those people need to sort of take a look at themselves and try to figure out why they can't sort of have a discussion without getting emotional and you know calling people names and stuff like that um but yeah, yeah. i guess that'd be my sort of approach um is start with the information if you're gonna go through with calling someone out publicly and you know sort of vilifying them making them look bad it's like these people's careers that you know steve i it's not nice yeah. it's just not fucking nice like to do that to anybody um Just be a good human, right? And like attack the information, you know, fight information with information, not the person, you know, don't try to, you know, put people down. Like if you're good at what you do, you don't need to put other people down. You elevate other people while you're elevating yourself, you know. Um, But yeah, what do you think?
1: What What are your thoughts? I, I think that was well said. That. I mean, it aligns really well with my kind of philosophy behind it because it's always been something I've been like, like I'd like to stay out of that because I can't um, imagine you calling <laughs> someone up. You it, It's nothing I'm very comfortable with. I don't really like debates and these sort of things. I like people to agree and kind of be on the same page and those sort of things. But I think if you are going to do it, um, you're it being needs to be <laughs> Yeah, it needs to be <laughs> respectful, and I think it's unfortunate that it can be used as a form of essentially bullying yeah, and you can right. bring down someone's business through this and at the same like you said try to ele- elevate both if you're going to do it but very often it's dragging one person down to springboard yourself and that's the scary thing for me for like a- again where people just aren't giving someone a chance because social media again you can control it in terms of deleting comments blocking people and you can also you can't have a full-fledged conversation and people can kind of straw man you and from the outside in it, it can be super challenging and so I think the only I I can't really see a good way of doing it apart from like you said, if you don't know the inf- for the person at all, just attack information. If you know the person where it's going to be clear that you're kind of attacking them, have a conversation with them to try and like get an understanding. And then it isn't like an attack. It's more of like a like fundamental disagreement on something that again it's about it's just, the information. Yeah, it's just discourse, you know what I mean? Like discourse is good. Like, yeah. you know, if people had had disagreements on
2: things and then, you know, had a, had an Instagram live and disagreed about like that, you know, and they did it respectfully, like people would flock to that, man. Like, you know, they'd probably get a bit bored when they realize, oh, there's no one like punching on here or whatever, right? Like because people want to see a punch on, but that's because they're using the platform for entertainment, not education, right? You've had some brilliant debates on your podcast because, they're entertaining a little bit like you know lyle and eric uh, lyle and mike that's always fucking entertaining um we probably can't say that for legal reasons um <laughs> but uh like yeah they're, they're entertaining as much as they are educational but on social media the call out culture is just for entertainment you know it's just people doing things like nasty like nasty things to people and just not being you know good humans because they're trying to get attention you know yeah they wouldn't They would not do that to their face. No. Like I guarantee you, I have a rule. If I say something about somebody to anybody or online, I'll say it to their face. And I think anybody who knows me knows me well enough that if I say something about you and it comes back to you, you hear it, you can bet your bottom dollar that I'll say it to your face or I would have said it to your face prior, right? Because I will not say things about people that I would not say if I met them in person or if I saw them. You know, you know, had a conversation with them. And I think that's the issue is everyone hides behind their screen. They're all keyboard warriors and they're, they're very tough and brave, you know, when they've got their followers jumping in and, you know, bullying this person. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, unless you'd say it to someone's face, just don't say it at all, yeah. you know, unless you'd have that yeah. disagreement, you know, publicly, you know, in front of a room of a hundred people, don't do it online, you know, like what's the yeah. point? Like you're just, you're disingenuous. That's not authentic. And that comes back to what we we're saying before. It's like, I think they're the kind of people who are,
1: you know, red flag. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that that makes a ton of sense. And then, yeah, the final thing I have uh, for you, Jacob, is I think, you're I imagine you experience this with some of your coaches uh, that are coming up where they've done all the kind of learning. They're like actually very educated coaches, but they come through this Dunning-Kruger where they used to think yeah. they knew a lot and now they feel like they're no fuck all because there's so much out there. Do you have any advice for that individual? Because I imagine that's where a lot of the audience sits. I sometimes feel like I sit where I'm like, man, there's just so much I don't know. How can you give confidence to that person? Because they are the person that should be educating because they know how much they don't know, which is a really good position to be in. Well, I I think first and foremost, the awareness that
2: you feel that way means that you know a bit. As hard as that is to wrap your head around, the fact that you actually don't think you know enough is best like most you know positive sign that you've actually learned a little bit about something and that you should be proud of that fact because it demonstrates intellectual humility and you know if you're in a position where you're feeling a little bit i guess you know overwhelmed downing yourself you're feeling all of those um you know things like imposter syndrome um you know because that that's what happens when we sort of come out the dunning Kruger, right um, is feel as though you know we're an imposter. We don't really know that much uh, about our topic. Da da da. da. Uh, intellectual humility is a really really good thing. Um, you know we need to appreciate that and, and be proud that we're we're becoming somewhat you know humble in in our you know intelligence, I guess. Um, and yeah, intellectual humility. Like people tend to hold like those favorable views of their abilities in like social and intellectual domains, right? Um, And that overestimation occurs in part because people who are unskilled in those domains, right, suffer like two things. One, not only do those people like reach the wrong conclusions and make unfortunate choices, but their incompetence sort of robs them of the metacognitive ability to realize it, right? So when you become somewhat aware of how little you know, you're actually competent because you don't uh, sort of misconstrue your abilities, right? And that is like, that's what I think people need to really appreciate. It's like when you get to that point, you're killing it. Like keep going. Um, But my advice sort of from there would be just continue to be curious. Like just keep that Curiosity of life, wherever it sort of flows, just follow it's like a butterfly. You never know where it's gonna go, like at that point, because people start to get bored. I feel I've seen that a lot. Is like once they come out, they're like, Oh, I know like enough about hypertrophy. They'll still have those doubts of like, okay, well, I don't really know as much as Brett Schonfeld. Like, I feel like an imposter for that. Like, but I feel like I know enough, like, what's next? The next step is like really hard to take because that means going real deep. So you got breadth of knowledge. Which is knowing a lot about a lot of a little bit about a lot of different things. And you've got depth of knowledge, which is knowing a lot about a, you know, singular domain. And to keep going in that Dunning Kruger process means that you've got to keep going deeper and deeper. And that's a huge investment. So a lot of coaches, physique athletes out there, they're not going to be going that far because it's not usually worth it, right? I and mean, there's so many sure. other things to learn about. So you've got to follow that curiosity around at that point, like a butterfly. Like, where's it going to go? Where's it going to land? Um, and just keep reading, you know, just 10 pages a day like on the topics that matter, stay up to date, you know, try to keep just refining your skills, like about the things that you do in that process, but you don't need to necessarily learn more, but you can become better at what you do, right? How quickly you read, how much you can process in that time, Um, you know, how quickly you can source information um, and solve certain problems. Like, you know, just, yeah, keep honing those skills, you know, that are involved yeah. in the process of education. Listen, write, teach others use the the knowledge that you have in different ways right being able to speak about it being able to write about it being able to display it you know visually like i used to do in graphics like that was such a fun like period where i was trying to like represent all these concepts and ideas like visually like that was so challenging and it really made me question like how much i I know and it was like such a cool experience um and yeah just continue to observe like look at the people who are where you want to be right don't copy them completely. But just look where they are and just try to find the things that they do that make them successful. And, you know, emulate that and use that um as information to help you, you know, through that process. But it's a hard thing coming out the other side of the Dunning Kruger and sort of waking up, you know, and realizing fuck, I know nothing. Like it's it's demoralizing. But at the end of the day, um, you know, that's when you are doing a lot better than the average person and you and you're competent. And I think at that point you've just got to continue to turn competency into proficiency and then proficiency hopefully into mastery.
1: No, I think that's excellently described. And I think you're completely right. Like people who have got through that are now in the position where actually like you actually do really know a lot and you should be confident in that. And whenever I at least feel that sense of like imposter syndrome and like I compare myself to someone like the Brad Schoenfeld or whatever, I'm like, man, he just brings out all these kind of terms and things that I like mechanistically not got a clue about or what have you. It's (laughs) like, well, practically, how much do I need to know about that for helping my clients? And then you can just look at the people you've helped, the people who you are currently helping. And I like to boil things back to principles. Like if I read something, like it's a new study about something, it's like, oh, wow, that goes like, that, that's deep. That like, is that changing things? And I try and like, okay, where does that fit within the, the overarching principles that I've kind of learned about? That always helps breed confidence. But yeah, I see people like there's loads of courses, there's loads of like different research reviews and they're like subscribing to them all. They're trying to learn all these stuff. And I'm like, part of it is like you said, just practicing what you're doing and learning through your clients and and doing that. And then, like you said, like if you find something interesting, kind of go down that one route and don't like don't try and do everything at once because you'll end up doing nothing absolutely man i think yeah knowledge without uh action is a rather you know sort of futile endeavor awesome jacob thank you so much for coming on i think this has hopefully been a really 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 helpful discussion for people i've enjoyed it a lot and uh, if people want to learn more from you they want to learn about the mentorship course potentially or where should they head Yeah, just uh, search JPS uh, Education
2: on Instagram or jpshealthandfitness.com.au and you'll find uh, all of
1: our resources, educational courses right there. Fantastic. I'll make sure that's all linked below so people can check that out. And thank you again, guys, for listening. We'll talk to you soon.
0: but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within on our little niche it is gonna be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there, you can ask questions, but also you can you can lock your journey. There's also gonna be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics, discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're going to have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The
1: exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're going to go through those
0: in depth, telling you how to execute them, we kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets.